You're listening to Pastor David Gusick preach through the Book of Acts at Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara. The theme from the Book of Acts is Spirit-Driven. Good morning, everybody. Uh, That Angel Tree Ministry is really great. You know what I love about things like that, too, is just the way that we bring it before our church family. It makes it really, honestly, really easy for you to do something really good. And... um, it's just great. I don't think it takes away from any of your reward just because it's easy. Uh, but it's just really, really wonderful to do such a good thing. Well, let's do a good thing right now. Are you ready? Acts chapter 13. Open up your Bibles there. Turn them on if you've got an electronic Bible. Lots of you do. I know it. I just pray you're looking at the Bible and not playing some computer game or something. Father in heaven, thank you that we can gather again on another Sunday morning and give attention to your word. It strikes me, Lord, as a little bit strange. Here we are. This book is thousands of years old. But yet, Lord, it speaks with power from heaven because we believe it, Lord, or I believe it to be your word. And so it lives, it moves, it works among us right here, right now. And so we believe you for that here today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in our third study here now in Acts chapter 13, and it's taken us three different Sundays to make it through the chapter because it's a big chapter, 52 verses in all. And we're going to conclude it this morning. The the, the first part of the verse we saw when this group of missionaries of Paul, Barnabas and John Mark, when they got sent out of the church at Antioch. And then we saw in the second part where they came to a place, uh, first Cyprus, and made their way around there. And then they came eventually to another city called Antioch, but it was a different Antioch in a different place. And that's what we looked at last week, how Paul preached this great sermon in a place called Pisidian Antioch, or Antioch in Galatia. And we spent some time with that last week, just discussing how Paul came, and in a sermon he preached in the synagogue, He delivered to them the word of God and he presented to them who Jesus is and what Jesus had done for them. And it was a marvelous message that he did right there in that particular city, uh, Pisidian Antioch. But now, starting at verse 42 of Acts chapter 13, we're going to get into what we didn't have time for last week. We're going to get into the response to Paul's message. So picture in your mind, Paul has just delivered this wonderful message there at the synagogue. There's been open hearts from both Jewish people there at the synagogue, but there were also plenty of visiting Gentiles there who had a respect for the Jewish religion. And here's the response, verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Isn't that marvelous? Verse 42 tells us what the response was from this very direct preaching from Paul and Barnabas was there at the synagogue. And I don't know if you remember it last week, but it was pretty direct preaching. At the end of that sermon that Paul delivered in the synagogue, he gave them a very stern warning, right? More... more. Uh, stern or, or, or stronger than we're usually used to delivering in church from the pulpit or hearing from your sake, but basically saying, look, if you reject this, there's a high price for you to pay. 
But, but, but the strength of that warning, it didn't take away from the response. If anything, it added to the response. But people want to know. People want to get the message straight up, right? Listen, preacher, if heaven and hell are on the line, tell me. If we're just messing around, have a little social club, well, then let's play those rules. But, but if we're talking about real people, real lives, and if heaven and hell is on the line, please, preacher, do me the favor of telling me. That's exactly what Paul did for them, and the response was marvelous. Verse 42, when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them again the next Sabbath. Both Jews and Gentiles were present there at that synagogue service in Antioch. They responded positively. Yet, if anything, Luke notes a greater response among the Gentiles who were present. Now, you should assume that it was a response from both Jew and Gentile for a few reasons. If you look at verse 43, it says, Many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. There was a continuing interest in their message. And then if you look again, verse 43, it also says that they persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. In other words, they had already started to trust in God and His gracious work And now Paul and Barnabas felt impressed that they had to encourage them to continue in that. Matter of fact, I can't get away from that line in verse 43. Would you look at it again? Verse 43 says that they persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. I wish with all my heart this morning to persuade you to continue in the grace of God. Now, I know that assumes that you've started in the grace of God. And there may be a few of you here this morning and you haven't really started in the grace of God. But but I'm going to speak to those of you who at least started in the grace of God. I want to encourage you with all my heart, continue in the grace of God. Did you know that a lot of Christians sort of deliberately stop in walking in the grace of God? They, they do it under this kind of thinking. That grace is the initiation into the Christian life. That's how you make your way in. But that's not how you live your Christian life. I'm here to tell you that you're to live your Christian life in grace. That you are to continue in the grace of God. In the knowledge that who you are and how you stand before God is not based upon who you are or what you've done, but on what Jesus Christ has done for you. Didn't you stand that all over again today? Do you wake up in the morning? Do you think about it at all during the day? That Jesus Christ paid for your sins. That your standing before God isn't based on what a good boy or good girl you are, but on how great Jesus is because you've put your trust in Him as your Savior. Now, I tell you, that recognition that your standing before God is rooted in what Jesus has done for you, not on what you've done for Jesus. That's continuing in the grace of God, and that'll change your whole Christian life. Absolutely it will. It'll get you out of this performance mentality where you think that, well, your relationship with God is like the, you know, the girl plucking the petals from the daisy, right? He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Because when it's centered on who you are and what you do, here's how it works. When you're a good boy, when you're a good girl, God loves you, right? Oh, but when you sin, when you failed him, suddenly he doesn't love you much anymore, does he? Can I tell you? He loves you. The reasons are in him. They're not in you. I wish you were so wonderful that all the reasons were in you, but you're just not that wonderful. But his love is that wonderful. His love doesn't tell you how great you are. 
His love tells you how great He is. That's continuing on in the grace of God. Living day by day in that knowledge. Far too many people think of grace as just being the introduction into the Christian life. And now once you're introduced into it, then you depart from it and start living on a system of law and works and performance and all the rest of it. No, God wants grace to remain your foundation in the relationship that you have with him. So they persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. I want to persuade you this morning. Some of you have departed from grace. You come back to a very legal relationship with God. Forget about that. Come back to the grace of God and go forward in that. Now, verse 44. On the next Sabbath. Okay, so now we're a week later. Whatever it was they were doing all that time, persuading them to continue in the grace of God, speaking with them, talking. I bet it was a busy week, right? But now we're a whole week later. Verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Wow, those are two heavy verses. First of all, it's heavy to hear what the response was. Do you see what it said in verse 44? On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. It's a pretty easy to picture scene, isn't it? There they were at the synagogue the previous Sabbath day. And people were excited. They were like, wow, this is great. This is amazing. Paul, this one, come back, talk to us next week. So Paul goes, sure, I'd love to talk to you about it next week. And of course, through the week, he's busy. They're not just idle. They're not just sitting around doing nothing. They spoke with many interested people. They're teaching them more about Jesus. And they probably also informally preached wherever they could. So they did their work during the week. But on the next Sabbath day, there's all this sort of excitement. There's this sense of anticipation. And when they come, did you see what the text said? It said, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. It's like, wow, we've never had a synagogue service like this before. The streets around the synagogue are filled with people. People are listening from outside the building in. They're they're so anxious to hear what is going to be said by the Apostle Paul about who Jesus is and what he's done for them. That was a remarkable response, don't you think? And sometimes we wonder, well, you know, why such a remarkable response right then? Well, I I can't tell you there was sort of a cultural reason. Look, let's face it. Let's think of the world at that time, right? Most people in their cities or villages, they lived fairly isolated lives, especially isolated lives compared to the interconnectedness we have in the world today, right? And so you rarely heard from outside people. You couldn't turn on the radio. You couldn't turn on the television. You certainly couldn't connect to the Internet. You you didn't know what was going on in the outside world. When you had a visitor come from the outside who had a message of what was going on in the world beyond you, it attracted attention in the entire culture. Now, we live in quite a different culture today, don't we? We live in a culture today where, where it's not like people are looking for things to be interested in. We live in a culture today where we are buried under an avalanche of information, right? Oh, good heavens. Some of you right now, and I don't mean this as a condemnation right now. Some of you right now are busily going through your Twitter or Facebook feed right now just to just to gather information, right? It's right there. It's so immediate. It's around you all the time. 
And so you could say there's a very cultural, understandable reason why, why back then they would be so hungry to receive something and why today people today seem kind of all filled up, right? Well, let, let me give you some information about Jesus. Oh, great. What, that's just what I need. More information, right? Well, there, there's some cultural aspect to that today. I understand that. Yet there wasn't just the power of novelty. There wasn't just the power of some kind of cultural dynamic behind this. There was more notably the power of the word of God at work. This was the primary power that that attracted the people. And Luke emphasizes it in their account. I mean, just look at what Luke says about what happened here. Verse 44, the whole city came together to hear something new. No, to hear the word of God. Or go on to verse 46, where he says that Paul and Barnabas spoke the word of God to the Jewish people there first. Then in verse 48, it says that the Gentiles responded to the word of the Lord. And then in verse 49, it says that the word of the Lord spread throughout all the region. Luke's really doing his best work to emphasize the fact that the response was that they brought the word of the living God to the people. Now... I understand how that might sound strange in the ears of some people. Here I stand with a book in front of me open on this pulpit. And I say that there's very, excuse me, that there's something very special about the word in this book. That these are actually words from God to us. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody who just walked in the street and sat here among us would think, well, that's very strange. That, that almost sounds superstitious or, or, or frightening. Well, let me just say, if you look at the influence that this book has had upon individuals in a pound society, it's not frightening at all. It's glorious. And what this book does in our lives and in our culture is something absolutely wonderful and transformative. Now, that's just one reason. I could go on and on and on with reasons to believe why we should understand that this is the word of God. But at the very least, I want to understand that it's not scary. It's not strange. God's word is here and it has a power for us. I mean, look at us right here. Here we are, many hundreds of people gathered together right here on a morning to understand what this book speaks to us today. Does that not in itself speak to us about its power, about its about its ability to do something in our lives? I would just say this. People need to have more confidence in the Word of God. Now, let me ratchet that up one more. Preachers need to have more confidence in the Word of God. There's far too many preachers. They treat the book like something to avoid. They they, they treat the book as something like this. And I'll try to be as kind as I can, but I can't be too kind when it comes to this. They're, They're preachers who treat this book like this. Now, you guys really can't understand this. So let me just throw out a few words from this. And then I'll tell you something really interesting from the news today. You know what, friends? This is what's interesting. This is what's life transforming. You get the news anytime you want. You come here. And I hope you hope to hear something from the word of God itself. Preachers need to have confidence in this book. Now, that's all the good news. But verse 45 introduces sort of a dark note. If you notice, it says right here, verse 45 But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. 
that dramatic response from the whole city coming and wanting to hear what Paul and Barnabas had to say in the synagogue on that following Sabbath, that, that, that dramatic response, it made the leaders of the synagogue envious. Now that's sad, isn't it? Shouldn't they have been excited that so many people wanted to hear about the God of Israel? Shouldn't they have been excited so many people were interested in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and what they want? But friends, it's something, oh boy, it's something really bad and sickening in the Christian world today, in the religious world. I'll just say that, because it's not confined even just to Christianity. It's envy. It shouldn't be that way among the people of God. The people of God should not be motivated by envy or jealousy about what God is doing, what other congregations are doing elsewhere. Now here, back in Antioch, they were so envious because Paul and Barnabas could draw a crowd that they couldn't, and it made them filled with envy. I would say that's inevitable for anybody who's more concerned about being popular than they are about serving God. Therefore, when somebody else becomes more popular, you become filled with envy. I'll just say this. It's very sad when Christian leaders and when Christian ministries today become filled with envy and they begin attacking other people who are enjoying a season of success. That's very sad. Listen, I think about it in our own community, don't you, from time to time? I think about our blessed brothers over at Reality Santa Barbara, who just a few weeks ago opened up their work over there on the City College campus. And I don't know, listen, I, I, I expect that Pastor Britt there and all, all the leadership team, they, they got better things to do than to pay attention to what comes forth from this pulpit. But I could say before you what I've said to them privately God bless you guys. Welcome to our community. There's lots and lots of people in Santa Barbara who need to hear the message of the gospel. And the more feet on the ground we can have to do it, the better. That's exactly what our attitude should be. The last thing anybody should be do is filled with any kind of envy or jealousy. Listen, the right attitude is to understand that we're all on the same team. And here's the point. When you understand that, then you rejoice in the blessings that other people enjoy. You know why? Because it's my blessing also because we're on the same team. When God works mightily through another congregation in the city, that's good. It's not bad. Because what? We're on the same team, right? And our whole team is doing great. Could you imagine if it was like this on a football team? And, and you know, on the football team, you got the offense, you got the defense, and you got the special teams, right? And let's say the guys on the special teams go out and make some spectacular play. I don't know, they recover a fumble, score a touchdown, whatever you want to say it is. And could you imagine the guys on the offense or defense saying, well, we don't like it that the special team guys succeeded so well. What are you, crazy? You're all on the same team. They're putting up points on your scoreboard. Thank heavens for that. And so it's a glorious thing for us. Listen, the key thing in serving God is not to be focused on popularity or bigger numbers than other people. The key thing is this, is to be focused on faithfulness and on serving God. Because you know what? Everybody can succeed at that. Do you know everybody can be faithful in the way that they serve God? Every last one of us. And that's our great opportunity. So 
It's very sad that this wasn't the case here in ancient Antioch. But look what it says that he did in verse 45. It says, contradicting and blasphemy, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. You see, suddenly Paul's preaching was opposed as if he was conducting a debate with his opponents, contradicting him and blaspheming God. The, the blasphemy mentioned there probably has to do with abusive and degrading language that they directed towards Jesus, whom Paul preached. And you can imagine how this would have grieved Paul and Barnabas. Look, guys, we're just trying to deliver a message. If you don't want the message, fine. But we're just here to deliver the message. And there's no reason for you to be so contentious. There's no reason for you to blaspheme the Jesus whom we're preaching. But they did. And look what it says right there in verse 45. It says that they opposed the things spoken by Paul. It seems strange to me that these religious people who had waited so long for the coming of their Messiah would now reject their Messiah when Jesus was presented to them. And I'll tell you, one of the great reasons why they would have did this in the synagogue at Antioch was because they liked the division that was made between Jew and Gentile. And if Jesus was to be the Messiah of all men, then they wanted no part of him. It's really an interesting thing, isn't it? Jesus Christ, when he comes among people and does his work, he breaks down walls of division. He'll break down walls of division uh, between races. He'll break down walls of division between nationalities. He'll break down walls of division among classes. He'll make down walls of divisions among different categories of people on all measures. And you know what? Let's just be honest. There's some people who don't like those walls being broken down. They'd rather keep them up. I think this is one of the prime motivations why the, the people here in a synagogue in Antioch would protest this so much. Friends, if there's something like that in your own heart, if you find that there's too much of a cherishing in your heart of a wall that Jesus Christ wants to break down among his people, could, could I just tell you to, to confess that before the Lord and ask forgiveness for it from him? Ask God to change your heart on that. Because it shouldn't be that way. Some people end up rejecting Jesus because of the way he changes their relationships with other people. Some people would rather hold on to their bitterness and their animosity towards other people than come to Jesus and be reconciled with them. No, no, no. Let Jesus break down those walls. So let's look at the response here. Verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold. I find that just funny. They grew bold. It's not like they weren't bold before. Good heavens. I, I want to see what it's like when they grew bold. Then, then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. And, and he's pointing to the Jews who, who were opposing him. It was, should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us. And then he quotes Isaiah 49, verse 6. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. They, they, they were bold. They proclaimed this. You, you can sense that there was some fire in their hearts and in their voices. As they said in verse 46, Since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. 
You see, Paul and Barnabas flat out, they rebuked those who rejected Jesus and they let those religious people know that it was a privilege, that that message should have come to them first, a privilege that they were now rejecting. Hey, my religious friends, you should have been pleased that the message came to you first. You should have been pleased I came to your synagogue to deliver the message. But now you're rejecting it. I think it's remarkable how Paul, if I could say it this way, Paul received their rejection of the message. It's remarkable that God gives you the choice. If I could put it in these terms, even though I really don't know if this is the right way to say it, but I hope you catch just my heart with this. It's even your privilege to reject the message. God puts that in your hands. Look, I I tell you how your sins can be forgiven by what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. There he is, nailed to the cross, and as he was on the cross, it wasn't just about his physical agony, although that was great, but it was also about what he spiritually suffered. And the Bible makes it very plain that as he hung on the cross, the Father regarded him not just as a sinner, but as the ultimate sinner, as every sinner. And that the Father in heaven poured out upon him all the penalty, all the wrath, all the shame that was deserving of our sin. And he put that on Jesus Christ on the cross so that if you'll put your trust in him, if you'll repent and believe that his payment on the cross will be a payment for your sins. And friends, I lay that out before you. And you know what? God loves you enough to make you the offer. God respects you enough to accept your rejection of it. If you want to say, no, not for me, I'll do it my way. What a terrible thought. I'll do it my way. I'll go to hell, but I'll do it my own way. If that's it, he will accept your rejection. If you are determined to reject what God offers you, God will allow you to do it. He respects you that much. You know, when I think about that, it makes me think seriously as a preacher of the gospel that it's fine for me just to lay the message out, but it also makes me say, I need to be wary of any kind of way of manipulating people, right? I want to respect you. If you want to say no, I'll try to persuade you. I'll appeal to your heart. I'll speak to you. But at the end of the day, if you want to reject it, then with with wet eyes, I'll say This is what you've chosen to do. But I pray you'll choose differently. I pray you'll accept what God offers to you. Because God will find some people, right? Look at it here. Just because they rejected it. Now look at verse 48. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. You see, Paul and Barnabas didn't only stop speaking to those who didn't want to hear it. They also responded with more evangelism to open hearts. And they now directed more of their efforts towards the Gentiles in obedience to God's command. They said, God, if you've given us an open door among the Gentiles, then we're going to take it. And the Gentiles responded to Paul's invitation with a really enthusiastic belief. They learned with joy that God does not hate the Gentiles, but that he offers them salvation in Jesus Christ. And apparently... Some of those who believed, they found out that they had been appointed to eternal life. Isn't that a great phrase in verse 48? They believed who were appointed to eternal life. Now, some people, this is very hard for them to get their head around. And I don't blame it. 
Wait a minute. Those who believe they were appointed to eternal life. So they were appointed to it. That's why they believe. How do I know? How do I know if I'm appointed to eternal life? I'll tell you how you know. Believe. If you believe, then you are appointed to eternal life. Well, I, I don't want to believe and I'm not happy that I wasn't appointed. Well, <laughs> listen, if you don't choose God, if you don't believe on him, how can you be sore with him for not choosing you? Listen, I'm not trying to, to, to solve every theological dilemma here. I'm just saying this. If you want to know that you're appointed to eternal life, then believe on him. And you'll find that God has appointed you to this. But I will say this. Paul showed great wisdom in not spending all of his time trying to persuade hardened hearts. After this point in his ministry, increasingly so, he makes Gentiles the focus of evangelistic efforts. Not exclusively. He'll still speak in the synagogue where he has opportunities. But more and more so, he makes Gentiles the focus of evangelism. Not because he didn't love his fellow Jewish people. Friends, Paul was Jewish. He was Jewish through and through. His heart bled for the Jewish people. He wanted them to come to faith in Christ. And he rejoiced over those who had so greatly. Nevertheless, he would say, look, God, when you've opened up a door, when there are people who will respond, I'll speak to them. When there's people who won't respond, I'll try, but I'm not going to beat my head against a wall. I'll do what I can. And this was Paul's idea from there. Listen, when you want to tell other people about Jesus, start with your own group. Have you started with your family, finding a tactful way and listen with family? You've got to use tact, right? There's not every, well, I'll just say, I just throw some, there's not every older brother who's just hanging on the words of a little sister, you know, to have her tell him about Jesus. You gotta use tact, you gotta use wisdom, but, but look to tell people in your family about, look to tell people in your workplace about, the people in your immediate circle, look to tell them about Jesus. Man, if you're a surfer, look for some surfers to speak to. If you're the computer nerd, look for some computer. <laughs> nerds, whatever. You know, you're just the circle of people that you're around. Look for them. To, but you know what? If they reject it, look for some other people. Don't stop saying, Jesus, used me to speak pe to people. I think Paul and Barnabas, they went out and said, we're going to preach in every synagogue we can, and we're going to see a lot of people respond to the message just like we have responded to the message because Paul and Barnabas were Jews through and through. And they came to understand Jesus was their Messiah. But it didn't work out that way, did it? Not here in Antioch. Well, here's where it continues on. Verse 49. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. Well, the word of the Lord was being spread. That's the good news in verse 49. It was being spread through the efforts of Paul and Barnabas. But I would say, as anything, it was also being spread through the changed lives of the people who were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, it doesn't just all rest on the preacher, not by any means, not by a long shot. M most people come to some kind of faith in Jesus Christ, not directly through the words of a preacher, but, but through the loving conversation and friendship uh, of someone who cares about them. And you are those caring people. Now, I think it's amazing when you think about verse 49, where it says that the word of the Lord was being spread. It's remarkable to think that there was a church born in Antioch in a little more than a week. 
One Sabbath, Paul and Barnabas preach in the synagogue, and there's a wonderful response. The following Sabbath, there's a mixed response with some accepting, some rejecting. And they took the receptive ones and they said, okay, now we got a church. And what do they do at that church? That church, verse 49, the word of the Lord was being spread through that church throughout all the region. That that was a church that lasted for hundreds of years. And through that church, a very effective work was done. I'm just saying that to say this, is that sometimes remarkable works of God happen very quickly. Oh, I know normally we plan a lot, right? You know, we we have two-year and three-years and sometimes five-year plans for launching churches and meeting things. And listen, I'm not saying any of that's bad. But what I'm saying, there are seasons of God's work where, man, it just happens. And it happens unexpectedly fast. And we should just rejoice for such seasons, right? We should even ask God to send such seasons. But that's the good news. Here's the bad news, verse 50. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city. Oh, they got the women going. And they raised up persecution. I didn't mean that in a bad way. It says it, doesn't it? Right? Does it say, and the prominent women? Okay, I'm not. They got the men and the women going. You know, usually, usually I just talk like that on Sunday night. You guys should really come to Sunday evening. Sunday, you know, we, we have a Sunday, you know, 530 service here. And it's a it's a smaller crowd. And for some reason, with the smaller crowd, I just feel freer to. <laughs> we don't tape those, do we? We're not taping Sunday night, right? OK, no tape on Sunday night. All right. That was a little. Anyway, uh, <laughs> They raised a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. Listen, I'll just say this. Whenever God is doing a work, the devil gets about doing his work, doesn't he? He just does. You should expect opposition. You should expect it. Don't, don't get waylaid by it. Don't give up. Just say, okay, there's some opposition. God's going to conquer through it. But whenever God is doing something good, there's going to be some kind of opposition to it, Right? Don't don't let it freak you out. Don't let it panic you. Just keep going. And that's exactly what they did. Verse 51. But they shook the dust off from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They shook the dust from off their feet. That was a dramatic way of saying we don't want to take anything from this city with us. Goodbye. You don't want us here. You want to reject the message we're bringing. Then fine. We'll just reject it. Let's move on. It it doesn't make them think that there's anything strange with themselves. They say, we're just going to go on and keep preaching the message. Verse 51. And they came to Iconium. Now we're going to talk more about Iconium next week. But they carried on the work. They went next to Iconium. And and they, they kept going with the message. I just love this. Can you imagine Paul and Barnabas if they were, I don't know if I could say, a lesser sort of men? They would have been something like this. They would have been, oh, they rejected us in Antioch. Oh, they don't like us. Oh, our confidence is shaken to the core. I guess people don't want to hear what we have to bring. Maybe it's too dangerous to do something else. No, it wasn't that at all. They went about 115 miles to a place called Iconium, and they said, we're going to preach there. That's going to be our new field of endeavors. And that's where they did the work, and they they went right on. Notice it in verse 52. They went right on, filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They weren't deterred in the least. 
Now, here they were persecuted. Here they were run out of town, literally run out of town. And what were they? Filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You know, we can take it as just a confidence in our own souls. That when things are difficult, when opposition arises, it doesn't have to affect our joy. It doesn't have to affect our being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll just end on that note. I look at so many people here on a Sunday morning and I think, you know what, there's at least a few. You've had some tough weeks. And uh, maybe you didn't get run out of town like Paul and Barnabas, but maybe you should have been. I don't know. (laughs) Listen, can you just say right now, if you're in Jesus Christ, you can be filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Your joy is not dependent upon everything being smooth in your life. Your joy is dependent upon continuing on in the grace of God and how great he is and how much he loves you. I think God wants to pour it out here among us right here this morning to fill you with his joy and to fill you with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to conclude in prayer right now exactly towards that end.